Welcome to the Holy Catholic Brew. My name is Lyndon Chan, and I'm a newly minted young professional. I've been blessed with the presence of really amazing, faithful Catholics in my life, and by the grace of God in my own life. This podcast is meant to distill some of the fruitiest, strongest, and most concentrated graces I've received that I think others might benefit from hearing. So sit back, grab your favorite brew, and tune in with me for interviews and reflections as we steep ourselves in the infinite, life-giving love of God. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Holy Catholic Brew. This time I interview Deacon Mark Neugebauer, who is a permanent deacon at Blessed Trinity Parish in the Archdiocese of Toronto. And he knew Jeremy when Jeremy was at a placement uh, during his seminarian studies. Deacon Mark grew up with a Jewish background, but he later converted to evangelical Protestantism and finally to the Catholic faith. Deacons have always been a mystery to me. They're married and sometimes they have secular jobs and work outside of the parish but they also help out with a lot of church duties and even give homilies. Are they closer to lay people or consecrated religious? Find out in this episode. Enjoy. Hello, you Mark. So I actually know like nothing about you other than that Jeremy knows you. Um, so uh, I guess could you introduce yourself, like what, sure. where you're from, where uh, what you're doing right now? Well, uh, my name is uh, Deacon Mark Neugebauer. I'm the deacon at Blessed Trinity Parish, and uh, I was ordained on the 26th of May, 2018. So I'm really, even though I'm old, I'm a baby deacon. Well, a year and a couple of months. Um, <clears throat> I knew Jeremy from the uh, St. Augustine Seminary, where I was uh, privileged to work with uh, 10 seminarians, first-year seminarians, every Friday morning for two hours doing Bible timeline of Scripture. It's an incredible privilege. I loved it. It was absolutely fantastic. And... Um, are you still there? Mm-hmm. I see. So you said Blessed Trinity. Where's that? Yes. Blessed Trinity is on fin- on Bayview Avenue, just north of Finch. I see. That's the parish I've been at for the last, <clears throat> I guess, 10 years. And oh, wow. yeah. So uh, the, the journey into the diaconate for me was a, uh, a very different kind of journey for most people, I'd say, because uh, first of all, I wasn't raised Catholic. I became a Catholic in 2009, actually. Uh, Before that, I was involved with a very large evangelical church by the airport. We were there for quite a long time. And before that, and this may surprise your listeners, um, I was part of what was called a Messianic Jewish congregation. Um, but my background is I'm Jewish, actually. I was I was raised with a synagogue life, and mm-hmm. my father is a survivor of Auschwitz and the Holocaust. He's since passed on. So I had a very strong Jewish identity. Uh, when I was about 20 years old, I became a believer in Jesus, if you can understand what that is, through a Messianic 
Jewish congregation, which is not where the Jewish people who believe that Jesus is the Messiah and they have them around the city. I was there for 18 years and was involved with all kinds of ministry, preaching and teaching. And I was an interim pastor for years and I was an elder and a deacon. And then we went to the large evangelical church. And while I was in the large evangelical church, having been involved with men's ministry and with intercessory prayer, I got connected to Carmelite spirituality, Discalced Carmelite, Teresa of Avila and John of the Cross. And I started reading them and I was actually hooked. Um, it was like pulling my heart like nothing else. And friends of mine who had gone back to the Catholic Church <clears throat> suggested that I watch EWTN and Salt and Light, which are two Catholic TV stations. And I was watching The Journey Home on Monday nights at, on EWTN and Tuesday nights, Mother Angelica. And I couldn't believe the, what I was listening to, that Catholics were so faith-filled and so joyful. I was shocked because, as you probably know, a lot of people outside the Catholic Church, even in the Christian world, have lots of questions and concerns about Roman Catholicism. Anyway, long story short, I ended up going to Mass, and at Mass, I had the revelation of Jesus and the Blessed Sacrament. I knew he was there. And I wanted to take communion, and they said, no, you can't. So I went to RCIA one-on-one, and... Long story short, again, um, I knew I had to become Roman Catholic, which was a big shock to everybody. Mm-hmm. And then and then while I'm at Blessed Trinity, Monsignor Sheehy, who was our pastor, suggests, says I need, I was an elementary school teacher and I retired, was retiring. And he said, you need to become a permanent deacon. So that's the latest of the journey, which is very long and different for most people. Mm-hmm. I see. Great. Um, so I asked you to pick a song. What was the name of the song again? The song is It Is Well With My Soul. Mm-hmm. It's a famous Baptist hymn, actually, <clears throat> about a man who sends his wife and children on an ocean voyage in the 19th century, and the, the ship sinks, and the wife is the only one who survives. And uh, in his grief and in his sorrow, before God, he writes this hymn called It Is Well With My Soul. It's very moving, very beautiful. I see. How, how would you say that relates to your vocational discernment? Well, if people check out the words, <clears throat> they see that it talks about the fact that, um, you know, it's the first words are when peace like a river attends my way, when sorrows like deep billows roll. Whatever my lot, you have taught me to say it is well, it is well with my soul. So the way it relates is that even though it was clear to everybody that I had a very strong vocation to the permanent diaconate after having gone through everything that I had been through spiritually, it was not clear to me. And I I, uh, went through the formation process anyway uh, but at the same time, I had lots of struggle with it, lots of anxiety with it, um, probably because it seemed a little bit strange in the sense that mm-hmm. uh, a vocation like this, where you are become, where you become clergy and you're ordained within, a, 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 I'll use the word denomination, 
was a very strange thing for me because I was pretty loose and easy, freezy, easy going before that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I had to, through all the struggles and the trials and the groaning of my own soul, had to keep trusting God that he would still give me peace. And so after five years of formation, I finally uh, settled down, believe it or not. It took me that long. Um, with clear uh, invitation to vocation from everybody around me, the archdiocese, the parish, everywhere. And I finally realized I'm just a passenger on a ship, speaking of a ship metaphor, and I was being taken to port. And mm -hmm. so after my ordination, at, uh, I feel, felt a sense of peace. So if you read all the words, you can find it online. You see all these mm -hmm. uh, things, issues and tempests and struggles, and but God is still the constant and he is still there uh, giving us the peace in the midst of storms and difficulty. That's nice. Um, I was wondering, so you said that like joining the diaconate wasn't uh, what a lot of people would have in mind and maybe not even what you would have in mind. So um, how did you figure out that it was a diaconate for you and not, let's say, the priesthood or uh, or I guess just like staying in the married state? That's a great question. Well, I couldn't become a Catholic priest because I was married, right. obviously. Um, so um, it was suggested to me, not just by one my pastor, but by two sets of Christian Catholic friends who I, whom I trusted their spiritual discernment very much so over the years. They both said the same thing. So I had three sets of people. So I didn't know. So I just, on a lark, if the word is, I called the archdiocese. I read the paperwork, the documents associated with it. And I applied, uh, not really thinking that they would accept me because I was too, I won't say the word weird, but I had such a varied background. I mean, is this really deacon material? But I applied. Uh, and uh, sent in my spiritual testimony and had letters of reference from my pastor, from a pastor and another priest, all my paperwork. And lo and behold, um, what happens is you you are in if if that you have an interview, and if you pass the interview and they like your paperwork, they will invite you to a spiritual year, almost like the priests have, but it's a little different. It's called a propaedutic year, so it's a one year of discernment at the seminary. So my wife and I would go monthly and have lectures on catechism and different things, learn how to pray the liturgy of the hours and develop uh, Catholic disciplines and mass, etc., which I had already, but uh, it was a year of sermon. So how did I know? I didn't know. And I was shocked when they accepted me. That was part of the thing. <laughs> then, then you need to be invited in further to formation, four years. Like every year you got a letter of invitation. To the first year, second, third, fourth. And each year I was predicting that they would not accept me because I felt I was too, I don't know, too different, I guess. And But I was surprised that every year they accepted me. So I just kept going. And uh, loving the papers, loving learning theology was absolutely astounding. The richness and the wealth of, of learning about the sacraments and about... Uh, church history and about the mass and and everything was just so beautiful but still it still was a struggle so i i actually fell into it it wasn't like something i chose that i wanted to do mm -hmm. i see 
Was this like a decision that you made after you got retired or were you still working as a teacher back then? That's a great question. I, I actually uh, retired just before I started formation because I, I knew that as an elementary school teacher, there was absolutely no way, knowing my way I worked as a teacher, mm-hmm. that I could do the papers and come to the seminary and be part of small groups and learn to preach and all I couldn't have done it so I had to retire first Mm -hmm. I guess God knew that too so that's why yeah I see um yeah I'm not actually too familiar with what deacons do like what do you do on a day-to-day basis like and how is it different from let's say uh like a priest well first of all we are generally mostly all married um it's mm-hmm. possible to be single. You have to be 35 at least to apply. Uh, they, the expectation is that you have an income, you have a job, because the diaconate is not a full-time position like the priest, uh, priesthood is. Oh, it's, I see. It's basically part-time and it's voluntary. You don't get paid. Uh, you, uh, But you can be inv- allowed to preach at your parish, the homily. It's called a homily. We can bless, we can baptize, we can uh, perform weddings without a mass, we can do interments, we can do funerals without a mass, Uh, we assist at mass. So I don't know, the priest can do everything, they don't really need us at mass, but if a deacon's at mass, he will uh, say certain things like, let us give each other a sign of peace, Go in peace at the end of mass. They will elevate the chalice at one point. The deacon will always proclaim the gospel. Will be invited to preach and will obviously give communion and can pray and bless people. So <clears throat> the priest is a full-time position and they're in a parish and they can consecrate and uh, give absolution. We, I always joke that I can, people will say, can you hear my confession? And I'll say mm-hmm. yes. I'd give you absolution. <laughs> mm-hmm. <Yeah. laughs> We're basically there as assistants. We're there to help yeah. to be whatever the church needs us to do. I see. That's interesting. So it's kind of like um, what an altar server would do, but with other stuff, like, like let's say like preaching the homily or uh, like conducting baptisms. So it's kind of like in between in a way then. Well, I don't know if I would call it like an altar server because an altar server will you know carry the cross and the candles and will bring the you know the cruets up for the water i'm the one who puts the wine in the water in the chalice i i set the altar for the priest so it really isn't the same it's it's um it's actually a different thing i mean priests do that all themselves anyway because Mm. underneath a a priest is a transitional deacon yeah Um, so it's a it is a. It's base. It's more what it more, more likely is. It's more likely a bridge between the laity and the priesthood, more than anything. Interesting. Okay. Um. So what I've always wondered is because it's sort of priestly, but it's also a married role. Um, for a married person, the vocation is to serve God through the spouse, and for the priest, it's to serve God through the church or like the parish or if let's say they're um, in a religious order, it's like through the order. So how does that work for a deacon then? Is it, I guess it's both then, right? Well, you're, in a sense, it's, that's true. I mean, the, the, um, 
the deacons are ordained to service. That's what we are. We're servants. That's what deacon means, servant. So we're servants in any way possible. Priests are ordained for sacrifice. So at the ordination rite, those are specifically clear. However, both um, marriage and orders, which I've had, are both sacraments of salvation. So in other words, they're for the salvation of others to bless and bring healing and salvation to others, but also for healing and blessing and salvation for ourselves and for our spouse. So the way it works for us is that the order of, of priority is that a God comes first, obviously. Your wife comes first, humanly speaking. Then your job, see, and the diaconate comes last. Whereas for a priest who's married to the church, um, the priesthood and comes first because that's the church's his wife, so to speak. We don't have that priority. Our, our wives have to come first. And does it make any sense? It's a it's a yeah, totally yeah. different it's a totally different thing. I see. So it's in a sense, in terms of the priorities, it's kind of more similar to the married state than it is to the priesthood. Then. Yes, I would say that that's correct. I, uh, somebody could be single and become a permanent deacon too. So right. It's a different so, vocation. Yeah. Sure. Um, if you can be single and become a permanent deacon, I guess you can also, but you need an income, right? Like you need to have a, a job. Yeah, I see. Because otherwise it'd be like, well, then you're basically just trying to enter the priesthood. If you don't right. have a wife, you don't have a job outside of the church. Yes. And also deacons are also meant to be not just in the parish. So, for example, uh, we can assist and help uh, different lay ministries of the parish. But mm -hmm. it's not really recommended that we be in charge of lay ministries, whether it's our CIA or um, you know, First Communion or Confirmation, any of those those ministries can be done by lay people and should be. Deacons mm -hmm. can help and support, but should never be in charge. Although it does happen, and mm -hmm. that's up to the individual, but we're really recommended not to do that. Uh, rather, we're recommended that we should have a ministry outside the parish to the poor, the marginalized, the suffering, the needy, uh, in hospitals, Hospitals and nursing homes, prisons, uh, soup kitchens, um, wherever there's a need outside the church is where we're supposed to be, be represented. We're supposed to serve like a bridge also with the outside world to the parish as mm -hmm. well. So, it goes, so what I've been doing, I was a long time in a nursing home. Now I'm what I'm mainly doing at this time, which could change, is I'm doing interments. You know, like the, the priests will do this. We'll, we'll do the mass, the funeral mass, but then they need to go to the graveside and have the body, which well, I know it's a hard word, but committed to the committed, and deacons can do that. So, what, what do you mean by committed? Like bring it, putting the bug, the, the casket into the ground. I see. Uh, with prayers and holy water and different things, the priest mm -hmm. can do that, but they don't need to. A deacon can do that. Okay, I guess what would be, what would you say were like some of the challenges in discerning your vocation? Well, I think I said that, I said basically was, am I, do I really want to do this? Um, mm -hmm. Like what was the motivation, I guess, because you said that it was, it kind of just came up, like you didn't really actively choose it. That's a good point. What was the motivation to keep on going? I guess inside of me, 
and this is something that can't be proved. It's, it's, um, though I can use it by an analogy. I don't know if you know anything about ice skating. Oh, yeah, somewhat. Yeah. <laughs> you know how you tighten your laces? Mm -hmm, yeah. You have a skate key that pulls the laces tight, you know, like mm -hmm. a hook. It pulls. I felt inside of me there was this hook. Uh, that even though I wanted to get out, <laughs> I wanted to quit. This is the truth. Mm -hmm. uh, there was this hook inside of me from God that basically said, "Don't you dare quit. <laughs> if you do, you will be so disappointed." <laughs> And my wife was uh, very strongly for it, and which is a real sign because wives get scared often. Yeah. Their husbands, you see. But no, she was so strong about it and parish and the seminary and the archdiocese. And God mainly uh, kept pulling me. And I just, I just, I just, I just kept going anyway. Mm -hmm. Even though I have to be honest with you, it was tough um, because you see, you have to be, if you're going to go for any vocation, whether it's the priesthood, the religious life, permanent diaconate, or even to a certain extent, a lay, lay religious, you know, of an order. But let's talk about those three first. You have to be prepared that God's really going to adjust your heart and go after things in your life. You know, whether it's attitudes or habits. I mean, he should be, we should be working on all of us anyway, you know, progressive mm -hmm. holiness, you know. But there's a real sense of uh, God uh, being specifically active if we're open to it. And I use the analogy of rearranging the furniture of our lives, our hearts. Um, so I don't know if I wanted that, you see. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know if I wanted to be in front of people all the time. Mm -hmm. Even though I was a teacher and I loved teaching as my thing still. And uh, so that's, and but on the side, by the way, I get asked to do lots of parish talks. So I do that kind of thing on the side. Mm -hmm. So um, it, it was something that I, I just I just knew in my heart of heart of hearts that even though I was scared and fearful and doubtful, I just couldn't I couldn't quit. I just couldn't not go. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't make sense, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they sort of try it. It's like. You know, you're going to university, figure, okay, university, four years. Oh, I can handle that. Maybe it's tough. But we're mm -hmm. talking about the rest of my life. And I'm not young, okay? Mm -hmm. So I'm, we're talking about the rest of my days, you know, until I'm 75. And even then, I, I you know, you retire, which I'm retired as a teacher, so it's easy, but in one sense. But, you know, a lot of people retire. They like to go to the cottage. They like to travel. They like to yeah. do what they want. In my life, it isn't like that. I have to be obedient to my bi arch, my bishop, Cardinal Collins, but mm -hmm. I have to be obedient to my priest and any priests around me. And these priests are so much younger than myself, even 10 years younger, let's say my own mm -hmm. parish priest. My pastor is 10 years younger than I am. I have more ministry experience in all the years since I was 19 or 20 outside the Catholic Church than he has. I'm not saying I'm right or wrong, but I have to listen to him. And yeah. for some men who have used to being bosses in the world or knowing what they want to do, it's hard. Mm -hmm. yeah. You have to really, really humble yourself. Yeah. As an old man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I tell true. you, if you don't, if there's, if you, there's no peace. And I think the key for me is submission it brings me peace.
Yeah, I guess that's your the primary vow you make then, right? Because I know for a priest, usually you make the vow of uh, no, sorry, not poverty, uh, obedience and chastity, right? But Cel I guess celibacy, celibacy. Oh, sorry, celibacy, right? Yeah, yeah, interesting. And I just learned like recently that uh, for yeah, like parish priests don't uh, make a vow of poverty, but let's say like for a friar, you would. Yes, correct. Yeah. Um, so now that you've been a deacon, like how would you say your faith has changed? Um, oh, that's so interesting. That's such a great question. Yeah. I, I'll say that, I'll tell you one thing. The, I, there are times where I'm standing at the altar mm -hmm. beside the priest, and I'm there during the consecration. And what led me into the Catholic Church amongst main things, the main thing was the, the revelation, the understanding of Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament, that he was there, body, soul, body, blood, soul, and divinity. And standing at the altar beside the priest with the chalice there with the precious blood and the hosts, which are the body of Christ, right there in front of me, I think, wow, I think this is incredible. And sometimes I'll sit in the chair, then what am I doing here? This is crazy. Mm -hmm. I don't I can't believe this, you know. There's the tabernacle, right beside me. I go to the tabernacle and get the consecrated host. I'm at the altar. I'm giving communion. I'm elevating the chalice with the precious blood of Christ. I said, wow, this is huge privilege. I, there are times where I'm I'm overwhelmed by it, and I'll tell you it's really strange. You know this. You know what the purification is after mass. You know communion yeah. is given. The deacon will often purify the vessels, mm -hmm. and you know, you pour the water gets poured. The altar pours the water into ciborium, which is poured into another ciborium, into another ciborium. Then it's poured into the chalice, right? And as I am turning the chalice, and to you know to purify it i am looking in the chalice and i'm yeah. seeing the crumbs so to speak i know it's mm -hmm. not of the body of christ in the chat and it's almost like a moment of adoration at that moment i think you understand mm -hmm. what i'm saying yeah and i'm saying wow this is like and then i drink drink and i think oh my goodness you know so it's it's an incredible privilege and and i'd say that has been a very strong thing that that and just the privilege of speaking to Catholics, you know, remember, I wasn't raised Catholic. I've only been a Catholic mm -hmm. like 10 years mm -hmm. to have that privilege to speak to Catholics about faith and have them listen and learn and appreciate um, and be blessed and encouraged in their souls is an absolutely incredible privilege. And to bless people and pray for them and baptize is incredible privilege. Mm -hmm. it's it's beyond really it's beyond anything i can imagine yeah so you mentioned that you you're raised a jew like were you a religious jew i want to ask you uh do you think that your approach to the faith has been any different because of your jewish background only recently i've been starting to read more into like judaism and how it relates to the faith that's an excellent question when i became a catholic um <laughs> The Lord basically gave me a vision in my heart about uh, doing teaching, combining Hebrew scriptures, New Testament, catechism, papal encyclical, writings of the saints, and talk about Jewish tradition as the background to Catholic faith. The Mass, mm -hmm. for example, um, you know, liturgy, uh, 
um, all the things that Catholics do, it all comes from a Jewish background because the early apostles were all Jews. You know, even Gregorian chant and monasticism comes from Judaism. So when I became a Catholic and I saw this, uh, it was incredibly rich. And so what I do is I do this kind of teaching too with Catholics about this, and they are so encouraged and so blessed. And and basically, when you look at the Mass and you look at the Catholic Church, you can call it a synagogue with Christ. And you see the traditions, you see the way the Catholic Church even decides on doctrine and dogma through in magisterium is paralleled in Judaism. You look at Jesus for also and the way he conducted himself. As a, he was a rabbi and he had disciples like all rabbis did. They had disciples. They weren't rabbis in synagogues. They were itinerant preachers with a school of disciples that they would pass on their teaching and then they'd pass it on to others. So it's um, it's incredibly rich and I, and I see it everywhere like that. Um, even the deacon, you know, the deacon has its roots in the synagogue because there were these officers in the synagogue who would do all these ministries and things to assist the overseer, the head of the synagogue, who was the Greek word for bishop, actually, mm-hmm. the episkopos. The diakonos would help the episkopos, and uh, there's fruits for that in the synagogue. So it's it's very rich in its Jewish tradition. Uh, if you ever want something amazing to blow your mind, is Brant Petrie called the Jewish roots of uh, Jewish roots of Jesus and the Jewish roots of the Eucharist. Yeah, yeah, yeah I heard mind. of that. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Even the ancient first century wedding, I have a PowerPoint, I do PowerPoint presentations. So I have this three-parter on the ancient first century Jewish wedding in the mass. Oh, I never heard of that one. I heard of the, the link between the Eucharist and the Passover, but like for the wedding, that'd be, that'd be interesting. Yeah, Brad Petrie has a book on the uh, bridegroom and he writes about it also. So it's very rich. Um, so I guess uh, I, left, I guess my final question to you is: um, If you were to give advice to your eighteen-year-old self, what would you? What advice would you give him? Well, again, I wasn't Catholic, so I can't comment. Mm-hmm. But if let's pretend I am Catholic, I think if I were Catholic and I were single male, and I already had a propensity to spirituality and prayer and uh, devotion and religion, which I did have from the synagogue. Honestly, I did. Um, I would seriously consider the priesthood as a, as a con- seriously considered as a vocation. Yeah. I would really, if I were 18 or 19 or 20, and I would seriously pray and find out if I have a vocation to the priesthood. Would I, and I would, you know, go on a come and see weekend, which they have mm-hmm. them around, go on more than one. I would talk to priests. I would find uh, priests, especially younger ones, that I could ask questions of. Um, I think every young man who's single should actively consider it because it doesn't mean it's a vocation, but at least you find out. And there are guys who come into the seminary who've been there for several years. And then they discern out and they feel it's not for them, but at least they've tried to find out. If you don't find out, and I've heard so many stories of men my age and older who started out at seminary or thought about it as young men and they didn't do anything about it and they were sort of regret it now. Oh, I wish I had 
you know, a lot of us. So I would say, don't miss that opportunity. That's what I would do. You know, marriage, marriage is beautiful and gorgeous. And I don't want to get crude or crass on your thing, but it, 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 I won't, it is a great fulfillment in your life and having children. Absolutely. If it's your vocation, but it isn't the only thing out there. And, um, there are alternatives. It's hard. I can't say it's easy. Being a plumbing priest is probably one of the hardest things in the world on many levels. But as an 18-year-old, uh, knowing myself, I would definitely consider searching it out. Oh, yeah. I was saying, like, I think that it's basically true for any vocation, right? Like, it's there's good and bad. Like, a lot of people say that, you know, like, being a priest is nice because you don't have... The problems that marriage has but then at the same time they're also the downsides it's really like whatever god's called you to you can't really say like you know there's this vocation that's the best because there's not these problems because you won't like you'll never have you know get rid of all those problems no and i think whoever you are and whoever god is how god works with you in your life whether you're single married deacon priest a widow widower um, you know, never been married, you, God's going to deal with all of us individually and use things in our lives, wherever our station is in life, wherever our vocation. So it doesn't really matter in the long run. Although, to be honest with you, it is, there are things about being a deacon that's, uh, being a priest is hard, you know. You don't have your own house. You don't, you, you know, you have, if you do, you're in a rectory, you know, and mm -hmm. uh, you don't have, I have my wife to come home to and I can complain and whine and, you know, yeah. pray for me. Please pray for me. You know, I'm preaching, I'm scared, you know. Mm -hmm. There is that advantage, you know. Mm -hmm. yeah. But God gives the grace anyway if we avail ourselves of it. Yeah, yeah. I've heard that, like, uh, some people are, like, especially for people who they're not so sure what their vocation is, then they're scared that they'll make the wrong choice. And then sometimes, in a sense, that people, like, in a sense, certain people do make the wrong choice, but that God still works with them, like, even though they've made, in a sense, like, the wrong choice. Sometimes, they're, you know, this whole idea of wrong choice, I believe that there are many vocations out there for people. I don't believe mm -hmm. there's always one. There could be one specific one, yes. But as far as he, like even getting married, you know, which girl should I marry? Yeah. That one, or that one, or that one. You know, there's lots of choices, you see. And once, but once you marry that person, that's God's will. Before you're not yeah. married, it's not God's will. Same with ordination. Until mm -hmm. the cardinal puts his hands on your head, it isn't necessarily God's will. But as yeah. soon as he's done it, it's you, it is God's will. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Like in a sense, they're, there could be that one ideal woman that God has called you to marry. But like, even if for whatever reason you ended up not marrying that woman, you ended up wearing like, in a sense, the wrong woman, like once you've done, you know, once you've gotten married, then that's God's will. And I guess like God works with you in that. And, sure. And he knows all the, he knows the end from the beginning. He knows what we're going to do. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're all trying to discern, you know, what do you want me to do God? And sometimes uh, if you're faithful and you're prayerful and you're discerning and you're listening to uh, spiritual advisors, godly spiritual advisors, um, you'd like that verse in, you know, in, in Proverbs, you know, trust in, the, trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
and do not lean to your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. So even though it may go through murky waters and trials and difficulties and challenges, I mean, that's life. Um, it doesn't mean that God isn't guiding and leading. Mm-hmm. Anybody think that wasn't God, you look back and say, oh, that, yeah, that was the Lord. <laughs> mm-hmm. That was the right thing. You know, it didn't look like it before because everything was darkness. Mm-hmm. That's what faith is. You know, it's, it's, we go by, we trust by faith and not by sight. Okay, great. Thanks, Deacon, for uh, agreeing to talk to me. Sorry for all those uh, hiccups along the way. No oh, pleasure. Um, how do you know Jeremy, by the way? So Jeremy, oh, that's an interesting one. So I used to go to St. Agnes Parish uh, when I was right. a kid, and Jeremy was an altar server back then. So I'd seen him before, but I didn't know him. And then once I got to U of T, uh, I joined the University of Toronto Chinese Catholic community, and right. Jeremy was friends with people who are already part of it. So I joined like a year before he joined. So then he joined as well. And like, I kind of knew of him, but I didn't know him. So after a while, he started serving in the community, like as a leader, and then uh, me as well. So we kind of got to know each other quite well, like through our undergrad. Um, and then like at the end of his undergrad, he suddenly like popped the surprise that like, oh, I'm discerning seminary now. So yeah, that's how things are. At. And then like right now I'm studying uh, my master's at U of T and then he's All kind right. of doing his seminary any work so yeah that's how i know him what is what's your master's in it's in electrical engineering i'm doing uh research into computer vision wow amazing mm-hmm. fantastic well that's a vocation too you know yeah Whatever in, it's a vocation mm-hmm. nobody said to you about the priesthood have they <laughs> unless you mm-hmm. have somebody, unless you have a young lady in your life i don't know yeah yeah well i have a girlfriend yeah Okay, so it's go. like a sort of like a dual vocation, I guess. Well, he's Jeremy's an incredible guy. I know he's such a servant. I don't know if we're recording anymore, but he can. He can. <laughs> we still are. <laughs> Jeremy is such a servant. I mean, when I every time I came, he would carry my briefcase and carry bring me water and set up set stuff up, and he'd always make sure that everything was there for me and for others and. And he's a communicator too, which I really appreciate. Emails, he'll answer everything. Some people don't, which bugs me. <laughs> I'm not used to that, but but he's always so consistent that way. So it's quite amazing. Yeah, thanks for calling again. Maybe I'll, I'll tell Jeremy I spoke to you. So. Anyway, have a great day, yeah, Linda. You too. You too. Oh, bless you. Take care. Bye. Yeah. Yeah. Bye bye. A big thank you to Deacon Mark for the interview. Up next on the queue, we have an interview with Sister Mary Grace from the Sisters of Life. And now, let us have a listen of the song that Deacon Mark picked, It Is Well With My Soul. This version was sung by Anthem Lights. Enjoy! When peace like a river attendeth my way When sorrows like sea Say it is well. 
soul.